Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com drink. That's helixsleep.com drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hey. Hello. It's been a while. The end. No. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Yes, it has been a while. I haven't seen you in a whole month, it seems. That's right. It's been a long time. I've not seen you since 2018. No. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How was your holiday season? It was good. I went home to Virginia and visited some friends and had a couple parties, which was very fun. Nice. And then I spent a week in the Poconos with Allison's family. Fun. Um, and I got to hang out with all of them, which is nice because now I actually know all of her immediate family. I'd only met her parents and her sister, but not her brother. Mm. And so now I know the whole gang. Nice. And I got the brother's seal of approval, which feels good. That does feel good. And um, and they're big fans of the show, actually. Her brother and his girlfriend, Ashley. Hi, Andy are, and Ashley. Andy and Ashley, yeah. But um, they're they're big fans, so aw, I'm glad I got to meet them. That makes me happy. Um, <clears throat> what did you do while I was gone? You just sat there and waited for me to come back. I cried. Stared out the window. Cried every day. Um, I went back to Cincinnati. It was really fun. Um, it was a lot. Uh, Blaze flew in. Um, Alexander and his girlfriend were there. We had a lot of fun. Um, got some. I just wrote a little list. I guess I don't even oh remember writing these notes. A little list of some things I got from my parents because. Uh, oh, my, for Christmas. Yeah, my dad and stepmom <clears throat> are notoriously strange gift givers. Right, right, right. Uh, no offense, dad. He start. I found out he listens to the first. Yikes! Twenty minutes. But um, so I got a set of Russian nesting dolls. Oh well, I, I'm not surprised. I got a <laughs> CD of monks playing the banjo. That I'm surprised by. Got a cheese grater. Okay. Um, and then a bunch of other, like a sticker remover, like a little scraper to remove sticker. Just a lot of random things. Where are these things purchased or found in their homes that they didn't want anymore? Valid question. Most of those were for my stepmom. I think she went to the uh, to the hardware store. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where the Russian dolls came from, though. Maybe a very specific Russian <laughs> hardware store. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I got a... My mom got me a lot of uh, stuff for the house, so oh, that's fine. Or, well, new apartment. 
and uh, she got me a Roomba. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Oh, I'm so jealous. And then she also got me, I demanded um, some of the Hue lights that work with Alexa. Oh, so, cool. Don't set it off. Yeah, oh, no. I don't know. If She's not in here right now. Um, but yeah, so I got a couple of those. I love a good a good lighting in yes, a room. Important, so, important. Um, yeah, just uh, I also got some jacket, a jacket I, I liked, some shoes I liked, a bunch of good stuff. I also want to add, I got a lot of nice, like really fun, awesome gifts too. I was just calling out the. F- I wish you wouldn't say the that. funny random. I just ones. want you to hear. Well, the- I don't want my parents to feel bad. <laughs> I felt bad because. Um, Tom tried really hard to get me these shoes that I would like, uh-huh. and he got me a, the brand that Uh-oh. I love. Skechers? Crocs? Keds, okay? No. <laughs> um, Keds are cool again. No, he... I won't I won't say the company, but uh, there's a, a brand that I really like, and when I opened the... When I took off the wrapping paper, the shoe box said the brand, oh, no. so I was really stoked, oh, and no. I was like, wow, these are awesome. I can already tell like, I'm going to love these. Oh, no. And then I opened the box, and I was like, oh, no, these are not good. And I, poor Tom, he was so stoked that he picked something I oh, loved. No. And I was like, you were so close, man. You can return them, right? Well, I, I had to be an ass. And I was like, look, I kind of leave tomorrow. So I just have to oh, be up front. I don't God. like them. <laughs> but his son actually really liked them. So oh, he good. took okay. them. So. Well, I also got some really great gifts. I don't want to be a jerk. I got, my parents were very good to us. Did um, Blaze get you anything? Yeah, I got a gift from Blaze. And it, I'm very excited about it. So I want to bring it up real quick. It, he got... He knew I've always wanted to go to New Orleans, and since it wasn't on our tour schedule, he got me a trip to New Orleans wow. and booked the flight and everything, and it's um, on one of the weekends we have off. Um, nice. Super happy, and it's like, he said it's like a haunted New Orleans trip, so we're staying in a haunted hotel. Shut up. And doing a bunch of like ghost tours. Allison, are you listening? I'm so excited. That I, sounds I just, so fun. I cried. I was so happy, <clears throat> and it was just really thoughtful, and I know I was not expecting it at all, so... I just, I'm really, and then he got me also this thing that you put in wine and it like ages the wine. Ooh. Like weird. I don't know. I haven't tried it Like yet. a time machine. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, stay tuned as I research a bunch of haunted stuff in New Orleans and book. You can go to the Lori house. I probably will. Um, uh, while we're at it, should we, should we mention shows that are oh, currently yes. coming up? That's on here too. Um, happy 2019. We're about to go on a crazy tour. Uh, there's a bajillion things happening. Um, a few cities only have some tickets left. Some have even a couple of VIP tickets left, like which have meet and greets with us. Um, so go get them. Uh, go to and that's where com slash live. Uh, and there's a lot of cities left with tickets still available. So cool. If you want to come see us, particularly uh, the Wilbur in Boston, I'm still very gung ho about getting that sold out. We only have a few tickets left. We really don't like, have many. Truly we don't 50, have 50, maybe 50 tickets. Maybe 50, but I am like <clears throat> dead set on there being none available yeah. come showtime so please 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 if you know anyone in boston that that would be super special wants to come, it means a lot but it was where we met and it's gonna be a big hometown thing and and i think the only other thing i was gonna say is oh our second houston show like which comes out literally this week after this episode airs we added a second houston show on the 17th at night um on thursday night and we are really looking for people to show up to that because as it was the second show, there are still quite a few tickets left. It so. might be a, a very personal show. <laughs> there might be uh, yeah. not too many people there. You may accidentally get spit on by one of us. That's fine. We <laughs> Maybe we'll all just like sit in a circle and we'll just like do Hold a little hands. report for you. It's going to be a very intimate show because uh, yeah, not too many people <laughs> are currently signed up for that one. But yeah. it's okay. And we're still we decided blast. we're doing 
for now two separate shows for that day. So if you're going to the first Houston show, feel free to come to the second. Yep. Because you'll hear a different story, whether we like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That being said. Yes. Oh, also, sorry, I put pony in the middle of our story last week, in the middle of the episode. Oh, yeah. I saw uh, that. I added the ads later, and then I forgot to rem- to move this underlying track. The pony Got song it. was supposed to play at the end, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of me telling a murder story, pony starts playing. Maybe that's just what we should do from now just on, though. Just really live in the mood. <laughs> so I want to apologize for that, but thank you for showing it up. Uh, yeah, no problem. Telling me about it. No, it was not you. I know. I'm oh, just saying okay. it on behalf of them. Okay. <laughs> You're fine. Don't worry. It's uh, fine. I'm not used to this anymore. I know. Usually Eva pours your wine for you. My No. I'm I, just kidding. I was going to say, usually I force wine on that poor girl, and she's like, please <laughs> stop. I am trying to work. Yeah, and Christine has to drink alone All today. By myself. I'm sweating already. Are you? Yeah. Why? I'm anxious. About the show? This. I don't know. The live tour? No. Us having to be on stage. That too, but this mostly right now. I don't know why. I'm just... Because it's new again. <sighs> Are you really nervous to talk? That's so That's so nice. I feel like I haven't been funny at all. Oh, okay. Be funny. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I just flew in <laughs> from Cincinnati and boy, are my arms tired. Isn't that a fun little thing when people are like, okay, be funny. It's like, uh. That happened in Belize. All our tour guides were like, oh, you work in comedy? Tell me a joke. <laughs> right. And right. I'm like halfway up a mountain looking for jaguars that were going to bite. You're like, this is the joke. <laughs> I was like, my spinal cord might be ripped out any moment. Please don't ask me to be funny. <laughs> Speaking of spinal cords, let me tell you the story about my spinal tap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious, isn't it? <clears throat> um, or I'm sorry, 32 spinal taps. Was that what that was? <sighs> Yum. So kill me. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and em and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15 percent off their first order at burrow.com slash drink that's burrow b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash drink for 15 percent off burrow.com slash drink it feels very fitting that juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy we're happy but because we're not mind readers we don't always know when they're unwell and in my experience cats are not the most you know open when it comes to sharing their woes and there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small lightweight bag pretty litter 
has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so this story, I originally... I don't know how to get into this one. I'm very stoked about it. Like, very, very stoked. Yeah, you seemed really excited. And this is a story that I have wanted to do since we actually began this what? podcast, which there aren't many left I that I haven't say, covered. I, I get excited because it's been a while. Well, I always say I'm going to do this one, or I always say, like, okay, well, at least I've got that story because I, I know it really well, and... um you know, I could always just, like, bullshit it if I needed to, but I was like, this is one of my favorite stories. I want to, like, really, like, take the time to learn as much as I can about it. I had 45 pages of a Word document of notes for this. Somehow broke it down to relatively short enough, and, um... Can I guess it? Yeah. You're not gonna get it. Is it, like, Gettysburg? No. Mm. Although Gettysburg's involved. Okay. But not in the way you You just think. said I know it really well, so I was thinking, like, Colonial Williamsburg area. Oh, I hear you. No, no, no. Good guess, though. Mm, okay, I don't know. So this isn't a ghost. Oh. This is a conspiracy theory. <gasps> oh, hell yes. I love conspiracy. Oh! Do you I know it? I know what it is. What is it? Is it MKUltra? No. No, but that's another one that I really want to do. Because you mentioned it earlier, and I was like, I wonder if you mentioned it because it was on your brain. I mentioned something earlier. No. It's not Tesla, is it? Tesla's involved. What? That's why- okay. Time travel! Yeah. Shut the front door. So earlier today, Christine, like, randomly shouted the word Tesla, and I was like, did I mention my story in front of you? Wow, it's like we're actually psychic. We are a little bit. I mean, bit. to be fair, I brought it up because in, like, episode seven or something, I said, oh, I remember that guy, and then Em was like, no, and then 25 minutes later, I screamed Tesla. So I did it today as a joke, and Em was like, I don't get it. Yeah, I tried to play dumb while also trying to think in my own brain if I had said something that, like... I think psychically you were speaking to me. Okay, so this is actually the story that really, really got me into conspiracy theories back in, like, high school. Um, oh my god, I am so ready. I'm truly, I've... You guys, if we disappear after this... This is, there's a hundred and, a hundred episodes ago I wanted to do this story, and I've just never really sat down and tried to get Should we as turn much all our technology off? I'm nervous that we're gonna, like... They're meet. already listening, it's fine. I've said enough to get <clears throat> on a blacklist somewhere. Well, so here's the next part. Because I want to do it justice, and because there's so much to cover... This is going to be my first two-part get out story installment. Yeah, so this is the first episode. Oh my god, I'm so and we've never done that. No, a two-parter. We've never done a two-parter. But so, spoiler alert for next week, guys. It's going to be the second part of the story. I'm sweating, and I feel bad about that because I know next week is our anniversary or our conception, the conception, the conception of the show, and I wanted to do something else. But this story is just really yeah, but, good. And, and the good luck is that I wanted to do something else and then I ran out of time. So I pushed it back. So we, we both <laughs> so mistakenly. Or, I wanted to do something special, but you're just going to get the second part of our first two part series. Sounds pretty special to me. So this is my personal favorite conspiracy theory. You can make fun of it all you want, but I like to pretend that it's possible because I'm a very big believer that time travel already exists. I am. I think I knew this was coming because I'm sweating so much. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> it was you being psychic. You knew to be nervous. I think a I bit. knew it. I'm a very big believer, just so we go into this with all awareness, 
that time travel does exist. The government is hiding that shit. I think there's a whole lot of science out there that they don't want us to know just yet. And it's whether or not it's being used, it's at least available somewhere to someone. Also, if you're tuning in for the first time, good luck to you. Maybe start <laughs> maybe start in the episode where I shouted Tesla and we dropped it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's we'll start here. We'll see. This is the conspiracy theory of Project Pegasus. What the fuck is that? We're going to get... There's a lot to unpack here. If our, my phone starts, like, flashing, I'm freaking out already. Oh. I'm ready. Kind of. I kind of want to. I kind of want to be you, ready. I think. I think there's. I think they're. We're all bugged. Oh, a thousand percent, guys. Don't get me started on conspiracy theories because everyone is listening to everything. And you're, you're doing. literally just starting a conspiracy theory right now. I'm not starting anything new though. <laughs> okay, I mean, moving on. sure. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Let's just let's focus on one at a time. One crisis at a time, guys. Okay. okay. So, Project Pegasus. I tried to break this down into as consistent notes as possible because it really is just a mess. So. I let's just see how this goes. <clears throat> Great. So buckle up, everybody. The main character in our story, his name is Andrew Basiago. Okay. Andrew Basiago. And he is a leading figure in the truth movement. Oh, and the truth movement is a campaign to lobby the government to disclose classified information that they have that's being kept from the public currently. That includes the existence of teleportation, time travel, and government relationships with extraterrestrials. Yes. Oh, this is my shit. So his big thing is that, and he's in charge of the, the truth movement. So he wants them to declassify all this stuff and admit that it all exists. This is my jam. So this all started in 2004 when he became an official government whistleblower and announced that from 1968 to 1972, from the ages of 7 to 12, he was a participant of the Project Pegasus oh, program. Fuck. Um, and he was saying, this is how I know that the, basically, he was why should, why should we believe you during this truth movement that, you know, all this stuff is real. And he came out and said, because I was a part of this project as a child and project Pegasus was run by DARPA. So DARPA is the defense advanced research projects agency. Okay. So it's the agency that still exists. And it was originally at the time called ARPA. They recently put the d in the they front said, i think darpa sounds better i think defense should be a word involved where should we put that so darpa uh still exists and it is the agency responsible for handling all united states defense technology where they research develop and integrate advanced technology into u.s military weapons um they are also in charge of spy and operative defense testing so there was that story a while back i, I don't know if it was a conspiracy theory or what but one of the things that DARPA was involved in was putting surveillance cameras on the backs of bumblebees. What? So that bees would fly and they could get enough as much surveillance as possible. On bumblebees? Yeah. I guess they're the fattest of the bees. I guess so. And the <laughs> speediest, maybe. Well, uh, I think they're the most like likely to give you motion sickness if you're watching a camera. Oh, true. I didn't even they're think of that. They're not very direct flyers. But so they basically, they're, they're the team that all of their projects are always classified, but they pretty much... Oh, sorry. I hear a little collar. That's Olive. They're always classified, but they pretty much try any version of technology on any version of what could be considered bumblebee. a weapon. No. Yeah. Even a bumblebee. <laughs> it's you know what? Bumblebee is a transformer, so there are mass weapons out there called bumblebee. Fair point, I think. Um, but so it originally started as a response to the Sputnik program. Okay. They also created ARPANET, which was the, mm. be the beginning of the internet. Yes. So they create like, crazy technological advancements. Right. And... 
So they're not just like sitting around like no, they're like they're the actual real deal working on stuff. Yeah, and Basiago says that they have actually done much more in technological advancements than they have ever publicly stated. And by the 1970s, DARPA had achieved teleportation-based time travel. Oh shit! As well as an advanced quantum access to see past and future events. What? Okay. Wow. So, um, so a Project Pegasus itself is a classified government defense program which resulted in successful teleportation and time travel under both DARPA and the Air Force. And it combined people from the military, the CIA, and civilian defense contractors all under the Department of Defense. And their mission is to, basically the whole point of Project Pegasus after time travel is to relay important information about past and future events to the u.s president the intelligence community Stop and the military it. oh my god that's terrifying um the mission was also to study the effects of time travel and teleportation on children what to contact future presidents to teleport to mars and to maintain a relationship with extraterrestrials wait so are those separate or are you saying <clears throat> that children are going to mars and talking to extra- extraterrestrials and the hang president? in there no, no. Wait, are you the sentence itself? Was there a comma? Yeah. Yes. No. Either. What? Okay. So eventually it becomes. I see. It merges. The, yeah. Okay. Eventually it becomes a combination. Because I'm just picturing like Trump in the Oval Office and like a small child just kind of like boop. <laughs> um, I've come from Mars. <laughs> okay. Got it. I'm just understanding. The thing is, like, it's. I think they started the mission as. Just hang in there. So I can't. <laughs> oh my god. So. It was to study the effects of time travel. Right. To study the effects of teleportation. Uh-huh. To study the effects also on children. Comma. Comma to contact future presidents. I got it. Okay. Comma to teleport to Mars. Comma to maintain a relationship with extraterrestrials. I thought it was... Slash uh-huh. involving children later on. I see. I thought it was to study the effects of children communicating with the president. And I was like, wow, that is its own, <laughs> its own history That's lesson. like a psychology Woo-hoo. thing all at the same time. So the final goal, the ultimate point of this, was to one day be able to transport the president and his family in urgent situations, which was important during this time because right around Sputnik and then the Cold War. Got it. So they, this was like a crucial investment right. of their scientific capabilities and all that. So um, he has released, Andrew Basiago has said that in 1947... Um, teleportation research and development was in the works by members of the Manhattan Project, which is its own wild story that I will table for another episode one day. And so members of the Manhattan Project and also members of, quote, War Department Special Employees, which were German scientists from Top Secret Operation Paperclip, which is another whole other wild conspiracy. Basically, um, Operation Paperclip is that Americans brought Nazi scientists over. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard about that have, one? Yes. That's a good one. So people... I mean, it's not a good no, one. No, it's not a good but one. Yeah, it's but a it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it gets you good. I understand. Um, but so people from the Manhattan Project and people from Operation Paperclip were originally people involved in the first research about teleportation in, 19, in the 1940s. Okay. So... Then in 1958, during the Eisenhower administration, with Nixon as vice president, uh, it, NASA and DARPA were both established. Okay. So that was the beginning of all these classified projects under one department. Like, uh, formally created under one right. umbrella. Okay. And during this time, the teleportation designs were, cla- were a classified project under the Air Force. And after Kennedy's assassination, the Air Force launched Project Pegasus put it under DARPA's name, and started testing teleportation jump tests 
which apparently became successful in 1964. Oh my god. So as of 1964, supposedly teleportation has existed successfully. According to Andrew Basiago. Basiago. Okay. Um, So after Kennedy's assassination was when they had their first successful teleportation jump room. Okay. Um, Under the Nixon administration, Pegasus, Project Pegasus had several successful human teleportations, and it eventually evolved into testing time travel by the 70s. This is the most 70s thing I ever did here. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nothing surprises me anymore about the government in the 70s. Nothing, nothing. You You can tell me anything, and I'd be like, sure. Yeah, makes sense. So... Back to Andrew. Yeah. That was just like kind of some information about where it generated from. So back to Andrew. He confirms that the technology for teleporting and time travel um, started back around the 1940s, around 1943 specifically during the Philadelphia experiment, which is another wild story I could table. Yeah. You need to stop worrying about having enough episodes. Well, I listen, I could make this the next hundred years or the hundred years. Whoa. hundred episodes about uh, <laughs> conspiracy theories, probably. But I guess you're right. We are technically a haunting show. Sure. So, uh, so he confirms the technology has been around since at least the Philadelphia experiment. And during the early research of teleporting, um, I guess back when they first really started, it was still very misunderstood and dangerous and they ended up tabling it so that later they could get back to it with better knowledge and okay. really look into teleporting. Um, so one of the first companies to take on research and development of teleporting, um, once they decided that they were going to get back into really looking into it, uh, there was a company called the Ralph Parsons company. Okay. And they were the first company to take time to research and develop for DARPA and for the CIA. And they cooperated with both of those companies. And although they can't actually say that out loud, there are apparently records that say that the Parsons company was a civil contractor with the CIA and with DARPA. And they happened to be an engineering company. And um, so it's kind of assumed that they were probably the first to be asked to be given the task of really looking into if teleporting was possible. Okay. So in Basiago's affidavit, by 1967, teleporting was, quote, fully operational in the secret realms of the U.S. defense techni- technical community. Jesus. He by also, what year? Sorry. 1967. Okay. He also said that children participants experienced up to eight different time travel technologies. So there were eight different methods that they tried. To get into time travel. I like how they're like, let's try it on children. Well, I'll explain that in a second. Okay, good. Because I have a lot of questions. So they experienced up to eight different methods of time travel during their time in the program. And in 1967 was when Basiago was inducted into the Project Pegasus program by his father. And he was the first American child to teleport. Supposedly the first American child. And he didn't even get a trophy or anything. No, and he was six. That's not fair. So his first experience with time travel slash teleporting was originally just teleporting because that was what the project originally started as. It was just teleporting and it eventually morphed into time travel. So his first experience was in the late sixties when he was six years old and uh, it was in his first jump room that he experienced. Oh my God. So how was he picked to be recruited into this project? You're probably wondering. Um, Absolutely. As a six year old. So as I mentioned earlier, the Ralph Parsons company was involved in the early research for DARPA, right? So Parsons was a company that provided engineering and design for military aircrafts, missiles, and rockets, and was involved in many classified Department of Defense projects, such as developing silos to place U.S. strategic nuclear missiles. So, like, oh. they're really intense. 
Yeah, they're not um, and, fucking around. And definitely have a lot of top clearance. Oh, yeah. They also hold contracts for chemical and nuclear jet propulsion facilities. Great. And their clients include BP, Exxon, NASA, and the Army. That's terrifying. So, not surprising it was chosen to, like, spearhead the development of Project Pegasus. Makes sense. Um, and the special projects engineer that worked on the project happened to be Raymond Basiago, mm-hmm. Andrew's father. I had a feeling we were getting there. Nepotism. So, <laughs> son, why don't you climb into the... Listen, if your dad is an engineer, maybe you'll be the first time traveler. Oh, my God. <clears throat> my dad is an engineer. Oh, are you... Did you time travel here? Maybe I did. So, in his also signed affidavit, um, Andrew tried to look into his father's relationship later on. I'll, I'll get into his actual jump experience, but I want to give you some information about his dad real quick. Okay. So, his dad was involved somehow with project pegasus and his name was raymond his name was raymond okay and and so andrew tried looking later into his father's relationship with the cia to see like how he was involved and this is something from his affidavit quote during his 18 years of employment with the parsons corporation while working on presumably conventional engineering projects my father was also secretly employed as the technical liaison between parsons and the cia on the theory and practice of teleportation. Stop it. Can you imagine that being on your resume? Like, holy shit. <laughs> um, also, a quote from him. When I inquired of my father's employment status with the CIA 10 years ago, I was told by the CIA that they could not release information to the family members of living or deceased CIA personnel. Mm. So that's how it was confirmed for him. Because he didn't even know. He just went to go see if his... I see. Oh, okay. He just so wanted to see if his dad was even part of the CIA. Do with it. And, and they were like, oh, we have files, but we can't show you. Yeah. They were, oh, shit. They were like, well, we can't tell family members. So that literally answers his question. And whether or not he was a CIA agent, his relationship with DARPA, the CIA, USA military, and USA intelligence agencies was enough for him to be listed in the database. Okay. So it doesn't confirm that he was an, a spy or anything, but he definitely had it top was a clearance real and was known somewhere. Yeah. Right. So now you have that background, and he was clearly the special projects engineer for right. them. And then his there's an opportunity for a child to tell, be teleported. And he was like, I know just the guy. So <laughs> he's like, my kid didn't join the soccer team this year. <laughs> get an extracurricular for him. So Andrew remembers his father bringing him to Curtis Wright aeronautical in Woodbridge, New Jersey. And they went to building 68. He has a lot wow. of information. He really like tries to get this as detailed as possible. Yeah. Um, he remembers his dad showing credentials to the people there. And his dad told the technician to turn on the machine in building 68. The machine, when turned on, uh, Andrew saw a screen with static, watery energy Okay, come out of the machine. Yeah. His father then told him to hold his hand and let him know that they were going to jump in. Oh, together? Together. Okay. Can you imagine still, like, being a child and seeing, like, like static water? Willy Wonka. (laughs) So he remembers jumping in, and all he saw was a blue and white tunnel of light. And after a few seconds, they were in Mexico at the Capitol building. Stop it. That's not where I expected that to go. (laughs) They were in Mexico. They started light. New Mexico. Oh, you said Mexico. Sorry, my bad. I got excited. Intercontinental. I was like, shit, they crossed the wall. The big, big wall. So they, no, they went to New Mexico. They ended up at the Capitol building of New Mexico. Okay. Fun fact. um, Later in life, there was a woman who kind of got shushed away by mm. either the media or maybe the media that was being ran by the government. Media who, wink wink. Media wink wink. Got it. Um, there was at one point, I think in the 90s, there was a woman that had been 
like telling people and trying to like publicly announce that near the New Mexico Capitol building, something weird was going uh-huh. on because she very often saw several people materializing at the Capitol building. Stop it. And all of a sudden that news never really became a big and thing. She became a crazy person right. that nobody listened to. Exactly. So Basiago has actually talked about her and corroborates that the New Mexico Capitol building is Get a common out. location involved in the program. That's so random. I guess there's like Roswell and everything. Maybe right. that's why. Maybe. maybe they're related because if they're also working with extraterrestrial stuff. Right. Maybe. I didn't even put that together. I maybe just got that... chills. <laughs> you just rocked my We're socks. We're breaking the case. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if Project Pegasus and Roswell were the same? Oh. Okay. I'm I done. keep seeing like helicopters outside and I'm like, oh my God. We're absolutely... They're going to surround the house. So once they got to New Mexico, they drove to the Los Alamos lab to meet Dr. Agnew. And he, when he got there, he saw an identical machine to the one that he had jumped into in New Jersey. Okay. So he was like, okay, that's another, another jump room thing. Yeah. Dr. Agnew, it's important to know. Um, so this is the guy that they were driving to go meet once they got to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Dr. Agnew is also known for his involvement in observing the Hiroshima bombing mission oh. and the Castle Bravo nuclear testing. Oh. He was also a Democratic state senator for New Mexico and a scientific advisor to NATO. Holy shit. He also worked with the physicists that not only worked on the particle accelerator, but he was known as the father of the atomic bomb this is why for his, his role in the Manhattan Project. Okay, because I so was this like, is a big guy. I've definitely learned about him. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, this isn't someone you're just like meeting for no reason. This is like big like guy. He's like big top top. top guy. So while in his office, Andrew, who's six, by the way, poor guy, he remembers hearing about Tesla. Tesla. And he remembers seeing secret equipment that was built from Tesla's work. It's like children, they just drag them around. They're like, they won't know. Right, right. It's like... <laughs> but, uh, like, also, if this is going to turn into time travel, don't you think maybe in the future he's going to re-report this? <laughs> like he's yeah, you think something? so? So, I was just telling Christine, one of my favorite, 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 favorite people in the whole world is Nikola Tesla. Right. Um, it's because I screamed it really loudly. Right. And then I was like, do you know how obsessed I am with him? Very weird that you brought that up. And I love him. And I'm going to talk about him. Um, so he himself is his own government conspiracy because when he died, all of his work mysteriously just left. And also he died very mysteriously You should have seen well. my face when I was telling me this. Yeah. So he he died unexpectedly yeah. um, in New York in the 1940s, which, by the way, TikTok happens to be TikTok. when all of the teleportation and time travel stuff started coming out in the government. Interesting. They started testing it. Right, right when he died, died. Yeah. all of... Right when he died and all of his patent work and all of his papers happened to be missing. Mysteriously vanished. And now all of a sudden all the stuff is happening. The government's like, we're testing out some new stuff. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. And there are stories of like them hushed, like being, you know, kind of weird around cops and like making up stories about how he died. Well, you were saying like actual FBI agents showed up and they were like, it's so weird. The paper, like, I thought he would have tons of paperwork. There were were cops that like came to like look at the scene after he died and they didn't find any papers there. Right. And they, when asked about it, were like, well, I thought that, I thought he, I assumed he had an office. That's why none of his work was here. But his, his home was his office. So if they didn't see any papers there and the government came in first before the cops to check the scene and all of a sudden all of his paperwork's gone. And then a couple years later, teleportation and time travel are possible. Fishy as hell, man. I tell you what. I'm just saying, especially because I'm pretty sure one of his last inventions he was trying to create was a teleportation device. Right. And the government asked him to help and he said no. And then he's fucking dead. What? Hello? What? Fresh? Hello, Fresh? Listen. Indeed. I love 
Tesla. So anyway, now you know that backstory, which wasn't even part of this. But so what are the odds that now Andrew right. is walking into Dr. Agnew's office and right. is hearing Tesla, Tesla, Tesla and seeing all of this equipment. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm getting it now. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. built he next just, to he'd all. He'd already died. He'd okay, already died. And there was all these papers everywhere that looked like kind of blueprints to items. And then they were right next to these items that were actually built in this sure, office. Sure. And, uh, hold on. There's tons of sirens. It's, they're coming after us. <laughs> I'm actually really nervous. I know. I'm actually sweating a lot. This is just like a, like a very charged, for lack of a better term, LOL, charged <laughs> topic. Okay. So he ended up seeing all this equipment. He kept hearing Tesla's name. Everyone was kind of being shush shush around him because they didn't want him to ask questions because he's six and going to ask everything. He's curious. And and uh, he ended up finding out later after that trip when his dad kind of had him starting to jump more and more often and doing like kind of oh, almost. So he kept being a part of this. Kind of like grooming him. Oh. And he, uh, there was one interview that he did. There was a few interviews that Andrew's done that are really, really interesting. But there was one that I there was a part of it that I cared about because in my mind, I'm like, how are you six? And how is your father thinking this is a good idea for a child? That was my question. And his whole mentality or in the interview, he said he thinks his father's whole mentality of it was I'm going to, my son's going to save the world. I see. And like my son's special, my son's special. He's the first American kid to teleport. And if I find some random six year old, if he has, right. If, if he, if I'm able to teach him all this now, wait until he's older and he's going to know all this information and do something really great with it. And so it was more a sense of patriotism. And so it wasn't just like, here, I'll sacrifice my kid. Right. Right. It was more like, I see. Okay. I'm sacrificing my kid for the greater good. And like very, uh, dangerous parenting. If you look at it from right. Another perspective of like, Oh yeah, let me throw my kid into this void. But when you said, Oh, we'll jump in together. That kind of was different. Yeah. Okay. Just drop kick him in. It's just like here, (laughs) shove him, punt him into the jump room. He's not, he didn't make the football team. Well, also he ended up finding out later that his father had actually been jumping for the last four years. (gasps) So by the time, so he knew it was like, so he knew it was safe. safe. So by the time Andrew started jumping with his dad, that was why his dad felt I confident see. in testing it that on his kid. changes my perspective. Okay. And also, I haven't gone to this part yet, but they how I said they use kids for this stuff. He was actually the first kid that they were... Like, his dad basically offered up him to right. say, oh, I'll, let's test teleporting on him before we make it accessible to all children participants. Got it, got it, got it. Because got it. he felt confident. He was like, if I can do it, my kid can my do it. My son will do it. And then it was kind of the beginning of accepting other children to be a part of this right. so he was a pioneer in a way got it um so yeah his he felt comfortable to let his child his child do it so soon after his first jump his dad volunteered him not just to you know try jumping his dad actually volunteered him to become part of the cia project pegasus because right when right when andrew was a child project pegasus was being created oh and they had already figured out this equipment. They were like, okay, we know how to teleport. You're clearly able to teleport. Let's start this project so we can do all the things listed in that mission I, I came up with earlier. Mm-hmm. But they were thinking, okay, we want to use children, which I will get to eventually, guys. Um, we want to use children. And Andrew's dad was like, well, he's already jumped. He's a child. I clearly have connections to the CIA. I can get him in. He's I'm recruiting him. So right. he recruit. So that was the beginning of how Andrew becomes part of the Project Pegasus. Got it, got it, got it. Basically volunteered him. Oh, to answer your question. Volunteered him thinking, my son is helping history. We can train him from a young age to be the first time traveler and protect the country, etc. Yeah, makes sense. 
It's so. totally different than what I was thinking. Yeah, it seems there's a paternal a paternal thing in it. Yeah, almost. It's like not as dangerous as I thought. At first, it sounded like Mad Men, like the kid didn't make the quarterback, and so right. he's like, "Fuck <laughs> this sissy kid! I'm gonna kick him into a void or something." <laughs> He'll grow up then. Yeah, we'll <laughs> He'll te- grow up in New right. Mexico. We'll teach him a lesson or something. But this is very different. Okay, so how the jump room worked? I'm picturing this, by the way, as the Mad Men office with a big silvery void in the middle. Like I'm you're not wrong. It, you're not Men, totally wrong. And then, like, there's also a time travel machine in it. Sure. Okay. So this is how the jump room worked. Mm-hmm. So um, the jump rooms work by harnessing what Tesla called radiant energy. Okay. So radiant energy is uh, quote latent and pervasive in the universe, but has the capacity to bend time and space. Nice. 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 I'm sure there's a whole lot of scientific mumbo jumbo I could throw in there, but that's all we need for this story. Uh, yeah, that's about as far as my brain will probably <laughs> I'm understand. asking a lot of you guys today to listen to way too much. So just know that it bends time and space. Um, the, <laughs> just the most basic. Just like it's super simple. It's, it'll help you on the test. So the machine that the jump room, that, ha- that was in the jump room, uh, was made of two elliptical booms. Apparently they looked like giant parentheses signs. Two okay. big silver parenthesis signs. And inside were tiny ports that had blue and green lighting emitting out of it. Oh, okay. So this machine used radiant energy to form a, quote, shimmering curtain, which is that watery, staticky right. energy he saw. But it looked like, it basically looks like a waterfall of energy, is how he described in one okay. interview. And that curtain is a vortex-like tunnel that travelers jump through. So once you walk through the curtain, you are in the middle of a wormhole taking you to another area, essentially. Casual. Um, a quote from him is when the tunnel closed, we found ourselves at our destination. It felt either like you were moving at a great rate or not moving at all, depending on the person. So either you could feel yourself in a wormhole or you felt yourself like you felt just totally still. He also said, um, if we were in the hologram for 15 minutes or fewer, the hologram would collapse. And after about 60 seconds, we would find ourselves back on the platform in the present. So you came right back. Oh, interesting. So it took that long though? Yeah. Oh, so they would just be in there for 15 minutes. No, once you got to... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they were in there for several... It wasn't like, bam, bam. It was like they were in there Look, for it was a, a rough draft, okay? <laughs> Here I am criticizing. <laughs> it's like, um, get it get it faster. Did they have magazines in Guys, there? like, wow, what a lag Wi-Fi. Get them some highlights for kids. <laughs> highlights. That was a good magazine. Uh, so Ranger Rick. So then from there, now that he's jumping often... Uh, this is where the time travel begins. And this is where Project Pegasus really launches off and when they start recruiting a lot of people. So he continued to jump pretty often, but he was staying in the same time period. So they really weaned him into it. Right. So So they're just teleporting. He's just teleporting. Right. Um, And soon they had him time traveling. Once time travel became something they were more comfortable with really testing on people, they had him traveling just a few hours back in time just to get used to the feeling of time traveling. Right. Because I guess the shorter, the dis- the short, the right. You know, if you're going five years back, it's less of an issue to your body than if you're going a million like years 100. back. Like a hundred, right. Okay. So um, eventually he became a full-fledged time jumper. Holy crap. And he had actual missions where he eventually traveled back multiple times to the 1800s. Stop it. He went to George Washington. This is in like a signed affidavit where this man is now a Seattle attorney, by the way. And Wait, he- this guy is? Yeah, Andrew Basiago Because today. I'm definitely picturing him as living in New Mexico in one of those. Like- He's a lawyer. 
Stop it. Okay. And he has written in the affidavit, I'm aware that I, if I'm not right or if I'm not telling the truth, I will be disbarred and lose and my career. Oh, my God. So he's not... He's not kidding around. around. Okay, got it. So he continued to jump, became a full-fledged time jumper, and he started going far back in time. And he went to Washington's tent during the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> and first of all, my thought is, like, why is Washington letting a child onto the battlefield? I mean, logically, what if a George Washington saw a little child in his tent at, during the Revolutionary War? Well, yeah, but he wouldn't, like, what would he do? I mean, you don't really have a choice. If it's like, appear, there's a little random kid here. It's like in the Oval Office if a kid appeared, it'd be like, <laughs> there's, what am I supposed to do with this? Well... We actually, there is an answer to that in a little bit. Fantastic. I can't wait. He really did cover his tracks. He hasn't answered everything. Wow. Um, so he went to the tent. He also apparently went back to a world where dinosaurs still roamed. Can you imagine Shut. being a six-year-old boy and fair. seeing dinosaurs? He's the first kid to ever First person, maybe. The first human. But, like, it's six-year-old. Of course, the first person to ever see dinosaurs is a child. Right. Of course it is. Right. Ugh. They are so mad that we're talking about this I right know. now. The, the cops are after us. They're like, they're talking about the dinosaurs. Quick. They oh, know no. too much. They know. Um, there is also... Land before time. He <laughs> <laughs> got to experience Jurassic Park the way we all should. The way every child wishes they could. Wishes, yeah. Jeff Goldblum was there. Aww. We all Just drove... like every 25-year-old girl once. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so there was also... This is where it gets pretty wild. There was also a highly classified film... That was in the DARPA department. Ooh. I don't know if it's a building or a department or whatever, but in DARPA, there were top secret files, and one of them was a highly classified film that was a recording from another Project Pegasus agent who went all the way back to no. the crucifixion and <gasps> resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stop it. Wait, so, so you're telling me that was all real? That's what he says. He's that so the another agent from Project Pegasus actually went and filmed it. <laughs> horrible horrible a millennial went back with their iphone 8 and filmed right. the whole thing you know he actually went to the future to get someone with a portrait mode iphone and, and then went Snapchat. back to jesus's time and added a filter right oh my god what the so basiago claims to have seen the 20 minute film 20 minutes the 20 minute film and said it matched what is depicted in biblical accounts of the life of jesus so what? the main original mission of agents from Project Pegasus was purely to observe and report back because the government just wanted to check historical accounts before they ever moved on with what else they could do with time travel. They just wanted to see if stories matched up. <laughs> they were like, let's see if the Christians have it <laughs> like, right. Let's see if Jesus is really out there. What? So what? Basiago says he also traveled to the future to the year 2045 and uh, instead of like how every like how the New Mexico jump room happened to be the Capitol building of right. New Mexico. So this, in 2045, whatever location he ended up in, the building that was the jump room there was made of emerald and tungsten steel. Okay, we'll see. We'll give you... We'll, we'll get, see we'll in 20, 2045. 25 years from now. Maybe it's my house. Um, years. Yeah, I'm sure. There, he also... Um, Your he, tiny house. <laughs> well, right. My tiny house of emerald and tungsten steel. You would, though. Um... <laughs> There, he also said, fun fact, which we can all wait and see, uh, so far, not looking good. He said in 2045 was a time of peace and environmental stability. Okay, that gives me a little, like, even if it's it, all bullshit. It, it gives, gives me, me a little hope that climate change corrects and reverses. and all the wood. Oh, my God. So, um, so when he went to, and keep in mind, he's still a child when he's doing all this. 
Which, but then, like, how does he know it was made of tungsten steel? That's what I wonder, too. Or emerald, Emeralds. even. He should have been, like, a green building. It was shiny know? and green. Right. I mean, I would say that I'm 27. Right, right. Like, I don't know what tungsten looks I like. I feel like he did that, if this isn't real, uh-huh. he did that thing where he, like, over-detailed. Which, actually, they do say, that's when you first said, oh, there's some, he knew building 68 and stuff. I was like, they do say the second one has too many details. But right. I guess if he's looking back, you never know if he was filling in, like, well, oh, also, it was this building. Right, right, right. I who looked knows? at a blueprint, and I remembered this building. Well, you find out later that there are other people who end up corroborating a lot really? of shit okay. he says. Well, and you know, yeah, I mean, he could just be filling in, like, like, oh, it was this material, right. and then he looked up what tungsten looked like. Right. I mean, he's a grown man now, yeah. so he maybe he, in Apparently hindsight... Apparently an attorney, which blows my mind. Right. So, when he went to 2045, uh, he was actually sent there. It was his first trip where he wasn't just there to observe and report. He actually went to 2045 to go pick up a canister of microfilm to be brought back to the 70s, which contained information... From the years 1970 to 2045. So his job was to go basically pick up this, like, it was like going into CVS and getting your roll of film developed. So they still have microfilm in 2045? Well, I think the mentality is that if you're going to give someone from the 70s information. Right. So there's still, like, a Kodak department in the DARPA building. Maybe. Maybe they have a Betamax or something. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so he went back. Uh, or he went to the future to get a canister of microfilm with intelligence information on it, reporting events that happened between the 1970s and 2040s. Is our podcast is probably on there. Oh my god, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Wait, actually, took my breath away for I a know. second. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, can you imagine? Maybe someone in also, the 70s knew about us. We were a twinkle in our eye before our own twinkles of our eyes. There was like a war and an economic crash and also this podcast. And then like, and that's why we drink had a million listeners. <gasps> Wait, and... but we're talking about it. So what if... Shut up! What if this is why I love time travel? <laughs> what if because we're talking about it, we're now, hey, can we be on the microfilm? Everything is hello. possible. Oh my gosh. Maybe there's also like... Fresh. Hello for, also, I haven't even brought this up, but apparently at the same time that teleportation and time travel were being studied in the 40s, uh-huh. so was the invisibility cloak, which what? is its own thing. So maybe someone's in here right now listening to us and recording Stop it to it. put on that canister in 2045 for I, someone in the 70s fuck, to go pick up. I didn't brush my hair. <gasps> I can't handle this. Um... Anyway, I'm not ready for this. So, how does time travel work, you might say? I will absolutely say. How does tri- time travel work? So, time travel. Originally, there was not physical time travel, only holographic remote viewing time travel. I see. So, like Star Wars, where you, like, appear right, in Right, the- exactly. Okay. But only time travel. But only, like, past and future events. Not oh, present. I see. Okay. So, the earliest time travel technology was called chronovision, a.k.a. looking glass. So, a chronovisor, it was chronovision, but the actual thing mm. was called the chronovisor what the, the the vr google oh google glass oh, oh never mind so what? the looking glass looking glass right this is google glass the maybe VR. it was their version of the google glass i mean it does some pretty wild well, things compared to the vr this is way more advanced <laughs> i'm like i'm no longer really really virtual reality i'm no longer impressed by those cardboard glasses anymore okay so a chronovisor generates a hologram of either a past or future event which this is very, this is too basic and it doesn't help me understand how it actually works, but we're going to pretend there's some science behind it. Okay. The hologram is created by emitting an electromagnetic signal through a series of crystals. Okay. Apparently that gives you a hologram of a past event. I or knew a my event. rose quartz was important. See? <laughs> there you go. Uh, me and my pyrite <laughs> are sitting there like... <laughs> So that's a very completely like 
not even brass tacks of an explanation, but I'm sure there's some greater explanation we're right. not even covering. So it goes through crystals. <clears throat> you, and... you point an electromagnetic signal through a bunch of crystals. Apparently, the whole series of crystals has to be in an octagon shape. Oh, is this some Wiccan stuff? It sounds a oh, little. Sounds like some geometry to me, which we're <laughs> not really good at. Geometry well, is the old Wicca. Let's go with Wiccan. Um, <laughs> it's better. So uh, apparently, that creates this screen that shows you a. I guess either moving pictures or whatever of some uh. past event. I don't really know. Quote from him in his affidavit. By 1970, the government was using Chronovision to remotely capture on film a vast amount of footage of past and future what? events. I was brought to the project location in Flemington, New Jersey, and I was shown remote images of the signing of the U.S. Constitution what? and saw George Washington and Ben Franklin as they appeared in real life. While at this project location, the, techno uh, the technicians that were there were filming reams and reams of past events on 16-millimeter film stock and storing it in film canisters. Presumably, this Holy is done shit. digitally today. Holy shit. So, I don't know if they're sitting there and watching... I don't know if it's like a like, video or if they're taking videos with their own cameras of like these are they pictures. In the, or in the scene or are they like watching the scene? I have scene? no idea. I wonder if they're watching... It sounds almost like it projects well, they the scene. Yeah, I guess Rather so. than, like, them actually appearing in the scene. Right, but they also have to record it somehow to put it in... I guess they, they have their 16-millimeter the, film their camera. camera. And then they're shooting... The projector screen. Yeah. But it's then, like videoing a video. Yeah. But also, how... I mean, this one you might cover, but how are they, like, let's go to exactly the date the con Constitution was... I have no idea. Or, like... I imagine there's <laughs> some sort of time... The octagon has to be like constructed yeah. in a certain. Maybe way. you just like there's a there's one crystal that's a dial, and you just go back <laughs> forever and rewind and rewind. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. Be kind, rewind. So, oh, um, God. in his affidavit, also Basiago wrote about his first experience with Chronovision, where he wrote in fall 1970, the children in my group, because at this point it's a participant group. Got it. In fall 1970, the children in my group first began accessing past and future events via third and fourth dimensional chronovisors that were situated at all three locations. One, the General Manufacturing Company in Comment Station, New Jersey. Uh -huh. Two, a public auditorium under construction in Morristown, New Jersey. And three, the ITT Defense Communications Facility in Nutley, New Jersey. So New Jersey, you're holding so many secrets. <laughs> they really are. It's because no one ever goes. Oh, so like, we're going. We're going to see this. Apparently. You guys, are you kind of come? Go see the Chronovision happen in real life. Oh. So apparently, in those three different locations, where where him and his group first started testing out Chronovision. Wow. So there was like hidden areas in those buildings, especially because one of them was like. Uh, under construction and like it, oh I see. i'm sure it was wink wink under construction so no one would go there and then right. stuff was happening so that's very specific saying happened in the fall 1970 and then giving locations with cities and all that and he actually got that corroborated without even asking it just happened on its own that someone said wait that actually is weird that he would say that without having any knowledge if like if he didn't if he was a child and he's making all this up then how would he have known because there was a man named Art Bell, who was a radio host. Oh, yes. I know all about Art Bell. Well, Art Bell, actually, in 1970, worked for ITT in the classified NATO project uh -huh. in that area. And he knows that there was a room uh, 
that actually was used for some top secret classified projects. R.I.P. Art Bell. I loved him. And he was able to corroborate that there was indeed a classified facility run by ITT in Nutley, New Jersey, and that Basiago could have not known about it. Ooh, snap. Especially because he was a kid. It's like, where would he have gotten that? Yeah. Oh, my God. And Art Bell was a radio host. Can you imagine if one day we corroborate a time travel conspiracy? (laughs) Well, Art Bell was like one of a... Yeah. One of a kind radio host. I don't know if our podcast. Well, maybe someday. One day. Maybe someday. <laughs> One day if, if our lives go in a different direction. Oh, or <laughs> If we adjust, if we adapt. Art Bell is just a hero. So Chronovision, which like I said, is the holographic version of time travel, eventually evolved into plasma confinement. Oh, yes. Sure. Which is the physical Me time too. travel. <laughs> so. Oh, so instead of the holographic like vision, like. This becomes so Chronovision was holographic, and it eventually their technology evolved into physical time travel Got called it. plasma confinement. Got it. So the time traveler stands in a chamber, and in that chamber is a cloud of plasma. And you walk into the cloud of plasma, and you basically keep walking. And even though you should be in a chamber, you end up walking into a whole wow. other part of the space time continuum. And the session is temporary, and you quickly return to the present. Um, but basically you're wormholed from the chamber into an area, oh, another, so cool. another time. So in 1972, so at the time Basiago was 12 now, he used plasma confinement in a lab in East Hanover, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So again, time travel in New Jersey seems to be a thing. So he tried plasma confinement in a lab in East Hanover and that lab happened to be ran by Dr. Sterling Colgate. Oh. And Dr. Colgate was heavily involved in the development of the hydrogen bomb. And most of his work to this day is still classified and untouchable. Wow, okay. So for you to be meeting him and going to his lab, there's definitely something in there that people aren't allowed to see. Correct. Um, He says he got in the chamber and plasma was emitted into the chamber and he was sent back to November 19th, 1863 to witness the Gettysburg address. (laughs) What? And there's actually a picture that I'm sure you've seen at some point, Um, but I will show it to you here. Of the Gettysburg address? Hang in there. Okay. Um, yes. Ass. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Picture um, that I've seen. So, apparently, I didn't write this part down, but when he went to Gettysburg, he they had not prepped him properly like they usually do, where he's wearing the right attire and things like oh, that. Oh, shit. And so he ended up not fitting in accordingly, and he felt self-conscious about his outfit, and so he tried to wander away and coincidentally that was where someone was taking a picture and he actually ended up no. in a picture at Gettysburg and you can see Why'd this you call picture me an ass? I was really asking oh no because I thought you meant just a picture of Gettysburg in general not like of him no they, it. I said the Gettysburg address I don't know oh uh, no you just said Gettysburg and I was like I thought you just meant like a picture of like no. like a sunset in Gettysburg or something what the hell? so this is a picture that it's a real picture, and he swear it's a real picture that has been like corroborated by everyone. It's been like Life magazine and all right. that, um, so it hasn't been doctored. But he swears that this is him, and you can tell because what? he's wearing modern nineteen seventies shoes versus. Oh my god! And ah! he also has like a seventies haircut, and so he's like wandering away. He's by himself. He's standing by himself. His whole job at, during that mission was just to observe and report. And apparently, someone got a picture, and he definitely. <gasps> doesn't fit he doesn't look like he's supposed to be what there. should people google to find me? i just typed in andrew basiago project pegasus or you can do like project pegasus gettysburg, gettysburg. picture this or... is creepy so he swears that that's him do you think that they like 
Oh, that is so wild. Do you think, so did they give him like the hat and stuff to like try and they didn't really do a great job? Or I think they tried to dress him as a bugle boy. Oh. And, or a union bugle boy. Then he and still was like, this is not. It just didn't fit. Accurate. Apparently like his shoes were oversized or something and he felt like he was gonna get Stand caught. Out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So he tried to run away and ironically that was. Can I ask a question that yeah. maybe we can delete if it's, if you're going to talk about it, but like. In this scenario, like, how would he get back? Like, do you know that? Um, it would just automatically happen. From how from how it was described to me, that's not something I answer later. From how that was described to to me by him specifically, um, <laughs> listen, I'll his, believe anything you say. At this in point. his explanation of time travel, he says that it's temporary and you come back to the you present just kind eventually. Of reappear. Okay. I want. I'm sure, like, by the time they have like plasma confinements, you can like put a timer on it or something. Right. Okay. Who knows? Um, but so. He even says after he stepped into the plasma chamber and went to Gettysburg, he says, quote, here I was depicted in the famous photo of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg address. Holy shit. Um, my favorite part of what? Oh, no. Sorry. I'm just throwing oh, confetti. I thought you were like giving me a sign. No, no. So my favorite story of his that involves him time traveling was uh, after Gettysburg, he also traveled to Ford's Theater the night of Lincoln's assassination. Shut up. And he traveled there on five or six different missions. And he says, quote, I did not, however, witness the assassination, which is good to know that they didn't let the children see yeah, that. Yeah, maybe nice. that's nice. Okay. Um, I did not, however, witness the assassination. Once I was on the theater level when he was shot, I heard the shot followed by a great commotion that <gasps> arose from the crowd. It was terrible to hear. <sighs> Especially when you're 12. Yeah, you're like, wait, I'm here alone in a different... Yeah, it's like, take me back, take me back. Take me home, please. <laughs> Beam me up. Take so, me and my uh, Nikes back to 1972. <laughs> so uh, because he jumped to this event, this is my favorite part, because he jumped to, to this event multiple times, he uh, remembers instances where he actually ran into himself from oh, no! from earlier trips Holy only minutes before. Holy crap. So do you, did they recognize each other? Yeah, they he recognized have. himself. And he so, knew what was going on. Yeah. Okay. He knew it was just him going back Holy a couple. Holy shit. Because he, so let's say... On Monday, his mission was to go for the first time to Ford's Theater. Right. Then he comes back and finishes his mission and goes back into the lab on Tuesday. And they're like, okay, you have to go back. Again. He still sees Monday him Where he there. is there in history. Right. right. Oh, my God. So he... Uh, Were they like, hey, high five? I think they like accidentally ran into each other. Because one of his things was apparently when he heard the shot in the theater, he was supposed to leave. Oh, I see. And so he ran into himself leaving. Oh, my God. And so he even said that... He realized at that point that it wasn't just you're going into witness time. He was clearly accessing alternate realities on adjacent timelines. Oh, my So God. even if the Gettysburg address happened untouched by him, he stepped into this weird half dimension where he was still there doing something. It Basically, he described it as alternate realities on adjacent timelines. And I think that's super cool. That is quantum madness. Whew. I, love, I it. love it. Me too. Um, he also... so. When you asked earlier about him going to, or when I had just said it out loud without you even asking, um, <laughs> when he went to Washington's tent and they were like, what would you do if there was a oh, kid there? Yes, yes, yes. So in one of his quotes, he said that he was really nervous about going to the Ford Theater, especially after running into himself because he was afraid he might blow his own cover with someone else witnessing him. And, yeah, he, totally. and he also didn't know, like, if he was alone, maybe there was another, like, another agent that he didn't know on the same mission running. Oh, God. And so he got nervous. And he said, after the first of these two encounters with myself, where he like ran into himself, he said, I was concerned that my cover might be blown. Unlike my trip to Gettysburg, in which I was clutching a letter to Navy Secretary Gideon Wells, 
to offer me aid and assistance in the event I was arrested, I didn't have any explanatory materials when I was sent oh to Ford's Theater. Oh, God. So he had literally a letter? So ab- apparently during most of his trips, they would give him this whole package to carry. That way, if an official or someone tried to talk to him, he would say, bring me to this person, and that person would have... There'd be materials to give him to prove that he's from the future and to let him go or take care of him or whatever. So couldn't the time just run out and he would just be sent back? I think it was like just like a quick fix. I don't oh, know. Oh, I have okay. no idea. No, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe they like set the timer for like a week. <laughs> Who I knows? mean, yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe it was like a two day <laughs> thing and you don't want him like getting killed in right, 1850. Right. Yeah. So the last thing I'm going to talk about, because I know I'm really going over no, my usual I time. Love it. The last thing I'm going to talk about in this episode is the explanation I should have given you forever ago about why kids are involved. Please, because so, I'm just dying right here. So by this time, by the time that he is actively time-traveling, um, 140 participants were being actively involved in teleportation experiments on their way to time-travel experiments, and all were children. 140. 140. Wow. So children apparently were easier to utilize due to their ability to adapt to, quote, the strains of moving between past, present, and future, and children were involved for five main reasons. So reason one, they were experimental test subjects into the physical and mental effects of teleporting on children. So they wanted to test it on children, so they needed children. Right, okay. Um, reason two, the holograms produced by the chronovisors would collapse if adults were involved. Because apparently to use them, small humans worked better. I guess oh. the smaller you were, the better it was to... Just the size-wise? I guess size-wise, yeah. Um, third, they were regarded as better participant observers because children were blank slates sure. and their perceptions were not skewed and they didn't have any bias to figure out why like something happened. A whole history of, right. uh, Lincoln and they weren't like, Oh, I'm watching this because I know this happens later. Right, it's like right. they were just watching what they saw. Right. Um, reason four was they were trainees. This is my favorite reason. They were trainees expected to, after, uh, becoming a part of this program and joining project Pegasus. They were trainees expected to become America's first generation of chrononauts in a full-fledged <laughs> time-space program when they grew up. Oh, my God. So it was so basically were... like like training them grooming to them want... For... Yeah. Wow. Grooming them for a full-fledged Careers career as an adult. Holy shit. And fifth, because uh, the psychological effects of moving between alternate timelines actually was damaging adult time traveler psyches. So the original time travelers were adults, but apparently they were, they were like actually going insane when they came back because they couldn't handle all either how time had changed or the, just like the sensation and physiological effects of time travel. Yeah. Um, so by training chrononauts, quote chrononauts from childhood, the goal was to one day have an abled group of time travelers that wouldn't have I the side see. effects. Okay. So if you start them young, maybe they won't so have those like problems later. So just like throwing a 40-year-old into 1850 and be like, good luck. Right. right. They were like, well, let's give you small tests now. Literally just go to this area and don't talk and just tell us what you see. And then eventually they kind of wean them into bigger and bigger projects. So when they became an adult, right. there were no okay. side effects to worry about. Cool. Um, also, yeah, children seem to psychologically adapt better to time travel. Okay. Probably because I kind of see it as a way of like why kids are also better with like ghosts and things like that. It's like no one's, even if you tell them it's not real, they're not really going to listen. They're still going to have that fantasy imagination yeah, yeah. brain. So it's probably easier to adapt and be like, oh, that was fun that I time traveled. what I see without like, right. uh, any sort of people telling me I'm wrong. Preconceived notion or anything. Yeah. So Andrew's father 
this is where it gets kind of messed up. Uh-oh. Because eventually Andrew asked, where are these kids coming from? Uh-oh. This is what I was afraid of. And Andrew's father told him that now they are mainly children of active adult participants in the CIA. But originally, um, a lot of the early parts of the experimentation were from the U.S. government making agreements with other countries to remove orphans and homeless children mm-hmm. from the streets to use them to be participants in these projects. Okay. The first kids were allegedly from Mexico, Venezuela, Chile, and Argentina. Mm. And the worst part is that because those were the first kids to be tested, uh, to be testing time jumps and oh, things like no. that, oh, no. it was when the time jumps had not, they were not flawless machines Stop yet. It, so one time, because the jump rooms weren't entirely safe or trusting yet, there is one account that Andrew's father remembers of a child returning from a mission before his legs. Um. And so it wasn't, I made a mistake. It wasn't actually Andrew's father. It was another, uh, another guy that came out later and okay. corroborated a lot of stuff that Andrew said, but, but he, so he worked up. on those machines and he remembers a child returning before his legs Quote, he was writhing in pain with just stumps where his legs had been until they appeared a minute later. And then he said, when they asked about, like, machines now, he said, quote, these bugs have most likely been ironed out by now. Like, people's legs. These bugs. Which is actually really interesting. In high school, I actually did a paper on teleporting. I tried to prove that teleporting is possible or will one day be possible. And um, there's this whole concept when it comes to the theory of teleporting where... Some people are quick to say, some scientists are quick to say that to teleport, you actually have to be willing to kill yourself so that another version of you can be recreated in another area. Whoa. So there's this whole, um, it's a controversial topic of what is a soul. And basically, if you, a lot of people have said a teleportation device is a lot like a fax machine where you can send a... The original. You can send the original and then a copy comes out later. It's not the same ink. It's not the same paper. It's just a copy of it. Yeah. So if you're teleporting a person, that person has to dissolve and then they have to resurface somewhere else. But can you do that with a soul? And is it just a copy or a a second version? Right. And so. Different atoms, but. Right. And also while teleporting, as far as we know, doesn't exist. If they were to invent like the first teleporting machine obviously there's going to be some bugs and one of the big reasons that people would be against teleporting one is because you would be technically ending your life to create it somewhere else i see but also if one atom if there's one thing that goes wrong with that machine and one atom gets moved somewhere else like your heart might not teleport at the same time or your legs might go missing or you know something like that so those are like the two big controversial topics of if teleporting is possible, should we even go through with it? Right. And so that's that's what my paper turned into in high school. But Ooh, like more <laughs> good the questions. Mora- the good morality questions. of it. Yeah. Did the legs appear and like they were fine? They appeared a minute later and he had his legs. And they reattached. He just, oh, okay. Yeah. He just showed up a little bit earlier than his legs. <laughs> so, oh God. But okay. so all of that being said, that is the first half. Oh my God, Em. Of Killing Project me. Pegasus. Holy shit. It's like, it's like one of those, like, back in 10 years ago, and you had to wait a whole week to listen to the next part of an episode. <laughs> That's right. This is the real life version of that. Unless yeah. you're binging this later, which people right. do. 
those are the lucky folk. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I'm sure I ran over no, my usual fine. time, but it's there's so much to unpack I have here. so many. I can't believe... <laughs> I'm glad this isn't over because I feel like I have a million questions that you might answer. Right, 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 right. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, sorry, I had to go eat some couscous because I was hungry. <laughs> We're back. Um, real quick, when I went downstairs to get something to eat, um, I talked to Alexander and Allie, and Allie was like, oh, yeah, I was at work today. My coworker uh, was on Spotify and had, and that's why we drink pulled up. And so I asked her, like, do you listen? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan. And she's like, oh, yeah, I live with Christine. <laughs> I'm dating her brother, and I live with Christine, and she was like, holy shit. And so I just want to say hi to Bryn. Hi, Bryn. And um, Allie's great, and you should be friends with her. <laughs> she just started the job there, so she's, like, brand new at the office. So Oh, she really she's making, making her name. Making her way in. That happened uh, with other Christine in our friend group. Oh, yeah. Um, when she started working on her on her new show someone was wearing and that's why you're doing sweatshirt oh, shut and up. this is when i lived with her in pasadena and she's like oh yeah i live with M." and she freaked out so <laughs> it's just so funny it's look like, at us helping people it's not it's not that exciting it's not that exciting I but it's also just pretty cool lay in my bed with a uti and cry oh yeah christine had a uti recently yeah i said it in the last episode oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. sorry i just but everyone i'm just happy i'm not the only one i know we did yeah it was i felt like i was joining you in your yours was worse for sure but okay they're all bad they're no all... no uti is a good one that's what i always say 
Okay, so after that mega story you just told that like blew my mind. So sorry about no, that. No, it was great. I just have to like it was filled with whimsy and mystere, lighthearted, easygoing. Yeah, whimsy. <laughs> I am doing one that I've wanted to do for a while as well. Ah, new year new us. I know. Look at us go. And this is the story of the weepy voiced killer. It's so creepy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so the weepy voice killer. So I want to say I got a lot of this information from a website called morbidology.com, which... Love morbidology. You do? Yeah. Okay, yeah. They put like a really great summation of this whole story on there, and then I got the rest from other websites, but they had a great um, outline. Okay. So this story takes place in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going back, speaking of time travel, to oh. New Year's Eve of 1980. Ooh! Ooh. Oh, yeah. Very interesting because the second part of my story is in 1980. Stop. Wow. See, we're clicking us. Clicking and connecting with whimsy. Clicking and clacking and waving and jumping. Time jumping. <laughs> <laughs> and doing the, the Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, 1980. 1980. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. 20 uh, year old Karen Potak, a student at the University of Stevens Point, was out at a nightclub with a group of friends. Um, and as the nightclub was closing around 1 a.m., Karen's friends noticed that she was nowhere to be found. Uh oh. Yep. She had already left the club and was walking the short distance back home. As she walked down the street near Pierce Butler Road and Syndicate Avenue in St. Paul, she was ambushed. Oh, no. She was bludgeoned across the head with <gasps> a tire iron. Oh, no. And left for dead. After the attack, local police received a phone call at approximately 3 a.m. There was a man crying on the other end of the line. Ew. Okay. Usually I wouldn't say ew, but knowing this thing is called the whip, weepy killer. Yeah. I'm already grossed it's out. bad. His voice cracked as he directed police to the crime scene. He wailed, there's a girl hurt here. So is, I know this is like way early for me to be asking questions, but... Do we find out if he's weeping because he actually feels guilty of his actions or is he weeping to like make you think he's not the killer or should I not? Should I keep, should I shut up? No, he's the killer for sure. I know. But is he weeping as if like he's a, like a, someone who stumbled upon a dead body no. and isn't the killer? No. Okay. He's, he's okay. Yes. Well, I'm just going to keep you'll listening. See, I'm see. just going to keep listening. When police and paramedics arrive on the scene, they're horrified by the brutality of the attacker. Uh, Karen's killer had beaten her so badly, it exposed her brain. Oh, no. Oh, no. And miraculously, she survived. I know. That I was not expecting when I was taking these notes. I was like... I did not see that coming. Yeah, me neither. Uh, However, she was left without her memory, so she wasn't able to participate and report in the the crime. uh, In the... Right, I hear you. Aftermath. Um, on June 3rd, 1981... Oh, a- happy birthday to me. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> happy birthday. I was negative 11. Oh, God. Time traveled to your birthday in 81. A group of teenage boys were walking through a wooded area near the interstate when they stumbled upon a body that would later be identified as 18-year-old Kimberly Compton from Pepin, oh. Minnesota. She had been stabbed 61 times. <gasps> yeah. It's not good. Mainly in the chest with an ice pick. Oh, my God. And then she was strangled with a shoelace. After her murder, police received another phone call, much similar to the phone call they received following the first attack, and the man cried, God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. Okay. Well, that answers my question, then. Yeah. Okay. So So it's out of a little guilt. Maybe? Perhaps. 
Or just an awareness of himself. Perhaps. Yes. Our... So we know it was an ice pick because he said it was an ice pick. Um. Oh, an ice pick. Like a, like a yes, pickaxe yes, for ice. Yes. I was thinking an icicle an this whole time. Because <laughs> when you said that I in my head, I mean, this is a really sad thing. And like I'm not melted. trying to... It's a good... Is that what you're Yeah. Thinking? I was it's like, I'm weapon. not trying to be like fucked up in this really morbid part of a story. But at the same time, I was like how do we know it was an icicle no. if that's supposed to be the perfect murder weapon because it, it no melts. an ice pick is a very sharp uh I, yeah. pickaxe yeah i hear you now i feel really really <laughs> shitty <laughs> you're like how do they know i was like wow he really tested it out everyone's always saying an icicle will do i mean the it trick. is minnesota like right there's probably a lot of icicles there's an abundance of them yeah an abundance of icicles Oh, yeah. No, unfortunately, it was not an ice cold. I hear you. It's much, much worse. Much worse. Oh, my gosh. 60 times. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Not good. Okay. And then strangled with a shoelace. So police actually were able to trace that phone call uh, to a payphone at a bar across the street from the bus depot at 9th and St. Peter Street. But when they arrived, nobody was there. Surprise, surprise. Two days later, they received another call, 911. The caller told officers he hadn't meant to kill the girl and that he would turn himself in. But he didn't. Instead, he called police and told them, quote, I'll try not to kill anyone else, adding that he couldn't help it. Quote, I don't know why I stabbed her. I'm so upset about it. Hmm. On the 21st of July, 1982, 33-year-old Kathleen Greening from St. Paul was scheduled to go on a vacation to Mackinac Island hmm. with her best friend, Carol Kellogg. Um, and then on the morning they were scheduled to leave, Carol was supposed to drive to Kathleen's for breakfast before they departed. But when Carol arrived at her friend's house, she knocked on the front door and nobody answered. So she let herself in because the door was unlocked, called out for Kathleen, didn't hear anything. So she starts searching the house. Um, she gets to the bathroom, sees that the door is partially open and the light is on. And she pushes open the door and sees Kathleen face up in the water with her head under the tap. <gasps> and she had drowned in the bathtub. Oh, no. And some people thought at the time that Kathleen's is so... It was officially ruled an accident um, because they were like, she was taking a bath. She either passed out or had a seizure or something right. happened where she could have like had a stroke or something. something like that. And she accidentally drowned. But a lot of people at the time thought Kathleen's estranged husband may have had something to do with it. Mm. Um, so that was kind of like the rumor going around is that her husband was involved. Her estranged husband was involved because they had a bad relationship. Um, but at the time, there was no connection to this weepy voice killer. It was just this this will come back into play but at the time sure. he was not even related to this okay so on august 5th 1982 a woman named barbara simons was at a minneapolis bar called hexagon which um i googled and it's still there mm -hmm. uh, when she offered a man at the bar a cigarette she then told a waitress that the man was going to give her a ride home and she said something like i hope he's a decent guy because i'm catching a ride with him uh -huh. yeah famous last famous words last words uh, the following morning, a newspaper carrier walking along the Mississippi River near 29th Street found Barbara's body, and she had been stabbed to death. Oh. Once again, surprise, surprise, the police received another phone call. It was the same man, and he said, please don't talk, just listen. I am sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. So that was him kind of saying, like, I did it. I Yeah, like I did the he's first admitting one. He's to a whole bunch it's of them. It's the same guy, right. Like, proving he's the same guy. Right. The first person police wanted to speak to uh, was the man that Simons had met at the bar. Because the right. waitress was like, oh, she was talking to this guy and she left with this guy. Um, and the man, 
the man who had given her a ride. So they were like, maybe he knows something. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he could even be the murderer if they were that lucky. Um, and witnesses were able to provide a description. He was described as being around 40 years old, 6 feet tall, 185 pounds. And the witnesses said he had a dark complexion and receding black hair. But before police could track him down, 19-year-old Denise Williams from Minneapolis uh, was working the streets when she was approached by the still unidentified man who asked for her services. They arranged a price, and she hopped into his car. And as they're driving, she senses that something's wrong because uh, the guy starts driving through a dark suburban area rather than returning her to the city where she had... uh, asked to go back like Got she, it. he was supposed to be driving her back to where she was working and um he went the other direction so she's like something is wrong here uh they turn onto a dead end road and before she could even like know what was happening he stabbed her 15 times with a <sighs> screwdriver <gasps> that he just pulled out oh. from his pocket <clears throat> and during the attack williams because she had sensed that something was wrong uh had grabbed a glass bottle and started smashing him in the head with it. Okay. Hitting his head and his face. And her screaming drew the attention of a man who lived nearby. And when that man saw this guy trying to stab her, uh, he began to, like, he tried to, like, grab him. Right. And so the guy fled the scene. So the man called an ambulance, and uh, they came and picked up Denise and brought her in uh, to take care of her at the hospital. And um, the man who had witnessed the scene was obviously taken in for questioning to, you know, help identify this guy. So they were, like, trying to figure out a lead, trying to figure out, you know, who this guy could be. And then they receive um, an interesting call. Uh, The St. Paul Fire Department gets a call asking for assistance from a man uh, who happened to have, quote, Oral, A-U-R-A-L, similarities to the so-called weepy-voiced killer mm. phone calls. Um, and these <clears throat> calls asked for help because he was bleeding badly and needed medical attention. So the caller had a similar voice, and he was asking for medical attention, basically. And they were like, this sounds just like that guy who's been calling 911 and mm-hmm. reporting himself as a killer. So they pick up this guy, and he is identified as 37-year-old Paul Michael Stefani. So this guy... Paul grew up in Austin, Minnesota, moved to St. Paul in the 60s, where he worked as a hospital janitor and a shipping clerk. And uh, he later said that he kept losing jobs and blamed his epilepsy. Uh, Angry, he returned to the area around the factory where he used to work, which is where he saw Karen Potak, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, one of his victims. And he said, quote, when I picked her up, she had no jacket and I thought I'd take her for a cup of coffee. I just wanted to warm her up and my mind snapped or something. (sighs) So he was soon apprehended, obviously. He was charged with attempted second-degree assault. Mm -hmm. Um, He was found guilty of the murder of Barbara Simons, but due to lack of evidence, he couldn't be tied to the other murders. During his trial in the Barbara Simons murder case, Defani's ex-wife, his sister, and a woman who lived with him testified that they believed that the hysterical voice in the phone calls was Paul Stefani. So Mm -hmm. they played the calls in court, and his sister and roommate and ex-wife all said yeah that's definitely wow yeah um he was convicted of barbara simon's murder so she was the one at the bar who Mm, asked the who said i'm I'm sure he's fine yeah he's probably okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) and got a ride with him um and was stabbed 40 times and of the attempted murder of williams and was sentenced to 40 years so in 1997 stefani was diagnosed with skin cancer and Mm. when he found out he had less than a year to live he confessed to the murder of kim compton which is the one who's the woman who had been found 
by those boys in the woods who had right. been stabbed with the ice pick. Icicle, yeah. <laughs> the icicle. The abundance of icicles. <laughs> um, and he said, I'd rather go to the grace knowing this is all taken care of and off my chest. What a coward's way out. It's like, you. Re- what really happened is you realize you wouldn't be, you would if you got uh-huh. put in jail for a hundred years, you only have to deal with it for like 12 months mm-hmm. max. Mm-hmm. Chicken. And now he's dying, so he's like. Right, he's like, might as well. I guess I'll get credit for these murders. Right, at least this way when I go to the pearly gates, they'll know I confessed. Yeah. It's probably more about getting credit for it. Yeah. Because he only got 40 years before that, so he could have probably oh, that's true. made it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But now he's like, I'm dying. I might as well get the credit for mm-hmm. killing these people. You're right. You're right. You're right. I, I was know. thinking more like when he gets to the pearly gates. <laughs> that's what he said. He said, I'd rather go to the grace knowing that this is off my chest. Like, I mean, that's how he made right. it sound. So maybe, but I don't want to, be- like, I, I don't trust him. My gut- he doesn't seem trusting. Yeah, my gut is maybe he's not that great of a guy. Um, he says, quote, to this day, I can't believe it. I wake up in the morning thinking and hoping I'm dreaming all this. But then I say, no, Paul, you're still in jail. <laughs> Fuck you. What? I don't know what to do except say I wish I could turn back the clock. He said he had just stepped off a bus in St. Paul and walked to Mickey's Diner where Simons was having coffee. We started talking and I told her I'd show her around town. I thought I'd drive by the river and maybe we'd see the Delta Queen or have a picnic. But in 15 minutes, she was dead. Oh, well, that's what I wonder when you kill them. Fucking fault that is, right? That's like what I happens. turn around and she's gone. It's like, well, it's like, man, who did that? Can't wait to Not go to her. He- heaven, right? Enjoy heaven, Jesus. And then, and then, this is where this. Okay, he also confessed to the murder of Kathy Greening, who was the one who had been found in the bathtub, mm. where everyone to that day had still thought her estranged husband had something to do with it. So he really just like. Owned up to he it and could have gotten it. away with it. and Oh, yeah. Nobody even had... It was not on the table. That estranged husband is feeling lucky that day. Yeah. He was like, wow, thank God Somebody, you decided to be honest. Exactly. So he <clears throat> got the... He admitted to that, um, and he had said that the reason... Okay, here. I'll just explain it. Okay. I'll just read my actual notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Instead of ad-libbing it. <laughs> so he had never been, like I said, considered a suspect in her death. And he had never even made a phone call. You know how that was his MO to make a phone call. So he had never made a phone call to the police after the murder. um, So he wasn't even on the table as a suspect. Uh, And investigators announced that during his confession, however, he was able to provide details about Greening and her house that only the killer would have known. Mm. So even though they were like, yeah, yeah, like you didn't, this doesn't fit your MO. He's like, no, no, I did it. Like, this is what happened. This is how the house was laid out. Like he knew all these details where they were like, shit, he actually did it. Mm. Um, they also found the name. Oh yeah. Forgot about this part. (laughs) Sorry. If you can't tell, I did these notes a month ago, over a month ago. I'm impressed that you even remember any of it. I'm struggling. I tell you. (laughs) Uh, so they all investigators also found the name Paul S in Greening's address book with his phone number. That'll do it. So that was their like nail in the coffin of like, okay, yeah, he's not fucking around. Like he actually, right. There was some, and they still don't know what that connection was or how she had connected with him, but somehow they were connected and he had killed her, even though the MO was different. So while he was found guilty of the murder of Barbara Simons, he never actually confessed to that one, weirdly enough. But in all, he confessed to, one, a beating attack in 1980, uh, two, stabbing Kimberly Compton to death in 1981, uh, three, drowning Kathleen Greening in 1982, which is interesting that it's like, beating stabbing drowning like usually these people right. all have one very similar mo or they like graduate to a certain mo so i don't know that's very 
it makes sense that he wasn't a suspect in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, stabbing Barbara Simons to death in 1982 and then stabbing Denise Williams in 1982. And she's the one who fought back with a bottle. Got it. And actually in the documentary I watched, she fought back. She described like she's interviewed and she describes like being in the car and saying she actually said like he picked me up. Uh, he was a John and he picked me up and he finished really quickly. And she's like, so I was really worried that like he was going to want more from me so she's like so i just was like okay so we were headed back and then he took a turn down like the wrong street and she's like something's going on here and um she said her instinct was to see if there was a weapon around her and she saw a glass bottle and so she's like wow even though he got the chance to stab her 15 times with a screwdriver like she had the at least he didn't stab her 16 times because he had she had that instinct she had that yeah so she was ready with that bottle managed to hit him and scream loud enough that somebody heard Right. So she's actually the one that really brought the whole thing to a close, thankfully. Yeah. Um, So in 1998, the year after he confessed, Paul Michael Stefani died from cancer at the Oak Oak Parks Heights Maximum Security Prison. And I, so I was reading a Ranker article about this and it had like a weird detail that I didn't really see anywhere else. Uh, One of the weird facts about him is that all of his victims were, were wearing red Mm -hmm. when they died. Interesting. Which I just thought was very. He's like a bull. Maybe. Yeah. I just, Interesting. I wonder if it like if it sparks something maybe, in him. Maybe. So a local reporter who covered uh, the Weepy Voice Killer spree for WCCO TV interviewed him in prison, and she said she was careful not to wear red during the interview because Good. they had noticed that all of his victims had worn red. I'm glad someone noticed that. I know someone I, has a weird skill set and used it. Like and pattern finding. Right. Because it wasn't in any other article. I mean, it makes sense. If people wear tie-dye, I'm more inclined to love them. So, I mean, it could be the reverse. Same difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, this is where it get, gets kind of into, like, the whole psychology of him calling the police, which love is it. what just has always creeped me out so much about this. Right. So, it's really rare for a killer to call the police after committing a crime, even though, like, on criminal minds or whatever, it they seems like... They make it like, seem like it's a big thing. Like, it's a normal, taunting Expected. behavior or whatever. Um, it's actually extremely rare. However, it's not unheard of. But when they do contact authorities, most killers do it for an ego boost. And few ever confess directly outright mm. to police like he did. And so they still actually don't know, to answer your question, which is why I didn't really give like an hour answer, they don't really know why he called the police. Got because it. Because although he said, oh, I did it and I want to hand myself in, he never handed himself in. Mm. And even once he was caught, he still didn't admit until he was had a year to live. So... It's sort of like, oh, he felt guilty, but not guilty enough to actually turn himself in. Sure. He felt guilty enough to call from an anonymous number and then... He was like 10% guilty. Do it again. Yeah. So it's a little fishy, even though they say... Some people say, oh, you can hear in his voice that he's really guilty. Well, yeah, like somebody can also fake that. Right. So I don't know. Um, So that suggests he wasn't really interested in allowing the police to stop him. So even though he, quote unquote, maybe felt guilty, he didn't want to stop Sure. Which doesn't do much for you, in my opinion. Right. Morality-wise. Um, there's a psychiatrist uh, named Park Dietz who theorizes that it's an unusual thing for serial violent offenders to communicate with law enforcement during their offenses, as some of them are doing it to taunt police, some of them do it so they can get more credit, uh, but anybody who does it ever mm-hmm. is not trying to get caught. So any okay. killer who contacts police in this way thinks that they're smarter than the law or that they yeah, can get away with it. Even or... if even if they want to confess and whatever, they don't want to get caught. Right. So, like, they might be trying to ease their conscious, conscience. Right, right, right. But they still want to remain... I Yeah, that makes sense. I get at that. At large, quote-unquote. 
Right. They're not walking to the police station. He could have walked in and said, look, right. I did this. Please stop me. True. But calling and saying from a payphone. It's like an instant. It's an instantaneous. Yes. Need to relieve your conscience. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like he's trying to make himself feel better. Right. It's like, it, what, I did wasn't, what I did wasn't that bad if I own up to it. It's like confessing to a priest that you murdered someone and then walking away and doing it again. And right. being like, well, I told God. It's like, that doesn't. Right. <laughs> no. It's like, well, you still yeah. did it. <laughs> it's just, it's, mm, anyway. So that is the story of, and I'm sorry, I feel like I just blabbed all that at you. Well, I'm sorry because I feel like I forced you to blab it because I really really took up so much time no, I, and I, I made you skit scat and <laughs> shabooby and all that <laughs> i think that uh i t- made eva delete that part but i was definitely like scat manning through half that because <laughs> i was trying to remember i was like okay there's a simons and there's a greening and there's there's a, someone a skit scat a williams it's i got confused by all their names but anyway essentially bad news bears all around right clock um and I actually do want to add to uh, that I was on the plane writing these notes, and I uh, have a bad habit of being on Delta Airlines and researching worst serial killers. Or, oh my god, this is the worst thing that I did. I told Blaze about this later, and he's like, "Stop telling me about these things." I realized that I was on the plane one time, and I had Googled nine eleven conspiracies. <gasps> no, Christy, no. Not that's because- like that's like digitally saying the word bomb. Like that's like, I know, and it wasn't even that I was like consciously. I, I like just, how, by the way, I like how I'm not even on a plane, and I had to whisper the B word because I'm so afraid as these as days. Not even whispering it makes a difference. I mean, someone could be on a plane listening to us too loudly, oh, and if I fair, say it, they're fizzucked. Well, so I googled 9/11 conspiracies because I was reading a BuzzFeed article of like best Netflix because I was on the plane. I was like, I want to watch a documentary, right. and I love conspiracies <laughs> as we were just talking about. And so it was like, oh, there's this interesting, and I'm not saying was I'm it the an, one about Tammy or Tanya or whatever. Her I don't name know is? because the second I realized what I was doing, I slammed my computer shut and was like i can't do this in delta comfort class because they're gonna kick me off the plane there was there was there's a really really good one i I think her name was tammy or tanya but it was i think maybe because it was it's a girl who she basically she went through her this whole several years worth of saying she was like um her husband died in 9 11 and all this and she like made this whole fundraiser and then you found out that she was nowhere near and it was all fake it was something like that. And it, I, I did not mean to research like, oh, 9-11 was like right, none right. of that. I just was looking for, at this documentary and then I realized what I had typed and I was like, <gasps> so anyway, point being, I was Googling. So I have a bad habit of doing this. By I, you, do, you do. It's I mean, not, you only have to do it once for me to judge you. <laughs> it's a bad habit when you do it one time on an airplane. Right. But I was also, even when I worked at Nickelodeon, I was always searching like goriest killers. And I'm like, okay, right. I need to stop doing something. At the happiest place on earth. At the work computer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would do that too. Like uh, on my breaks, I would at like at ISS during my lunch break. Sometimes I would stay and like do my notes. Yeah. And I would just, people would just walk in and I would just have the gnarliest stuff on my, yeah. on my computer. It's really bad. So I have a bad habit of searching for serial killers on my computer on an airplane. So I did that because now I get Wi-Fi because we travel so much. So I just get the Wi-Fi and I like try to do all my notes. So I was Googling this or researching this guy. And um, of course there are all these YouTube videos of like his 911 calls. And so I'm sitting there on the plane. Creeping yourself out. Oh my God. It was um, it's so, I mean, I'm just glad that like I wasn't alone in my room because the 911 calls you guys are on the internet. Right. And it's him calling and like 
I remember reading about this in high school, this weepy voice killer, which is why I wanted to do it for so long, where he's crying into the phone and saying, like, please stop me. You've got to stop me. Ew. It's horrible. And he sounds, like, just weepy and crying and, like, Ugh. like saying, I-, I stabbed her. I stabbed her. Like, And then one of them, which I didn't even mention, it wasn't really in the notes, but it was him saying, like, how will I get to, how will I get to heaven now? Sidebar. I I like how studious you are on that you're doing all your notes on the plane because I just watched Infinity War for the thousandth time. <laughs> I know I've but, witnessed it, <laughs> and you've watched me cry to it too. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're crying to like a legitimate cry-worthy movie. To this asshole cry and you cry. <laughs> well, um, no. Let's also take a second to really appreciate the real heroes out there who are dispatch operators. Can you imagine? My stepsister, she was a dispatch operator for a while, really? and she was like. That is no joke. Like you, they apparently give you some of the worst phone calls in your training so that you can be prepared for what you'd hear. Really? And it's like mothers screaming that their babies are dead and like, like horrible car crashes. Horrible. And I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like drug I mean, overdoses. And you're the person that has to be calm. Like totally. I'm, that's literally like, I'm such an ass because just in my general life, if someone calls me, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to get that. But can you imagine being a dispatch where every time the phone rings, you're like something horrific worst is on the other scenario end. is happening. And if I don't answer something even worse could happen. That would give me nightmares. Whew, that's, that's a yeah, you're right. very honorable job. Mad props, mad props. And I've called 911 plenty of times in my lifetime. I've, I've had to call 911, but I remember on my 23rd birthday or my 24th birthday, I think my 23rd birthday, for some reason, there was a giant pile of trash on fire on the highway. Oh. In the middle of the highway. It was like a massive fire. And I was the only one out on the highway. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to call the police or something. And so I remember the dispatch answered. And I was like, hi, everything's fine. Everything's good. We're okay. Don't panic. I'm I'm hoping to be your, your one call today that doesn't give you too much stress. And I was like, there's a fire on the highway. And I, there's no one there. Everything's oh fine. God. Just wanted to say it. And then I hung up. <laughs> I'm that person who every time I call 911, there was like a horrific accident outside our house recently, a few months ago, and I called 911. And I was like, hi, yeah, how are you? So there's this terrible crash, and there's a body on the ground. Oh my god! Um, and I'm like, so like, hey, how are you? Okay, uh, I'm trying to be calm. I'm just going to tell you what's going on. And they're like, also very calm. And it's just like the most weird morbid yeah, thing it's not you're both ignoring I saw emotions this elderly woman get hit by a car one time and i called like an suv oh you told me this and her body flew i remember because the paramedics came and i had to like stand where i saw her and then stand where i saw her body body go right. where she ended up and it was 15 feet she flew 15 <gasps> feet and so i called 911 and this guy was like this other guy was like holding the driver because she was having a freak out and i'm just on the phone with 911 everyone's like sobbing and screaming and i'm like hey hi hi how are you and i'm like what is wrong with me like that's also kind of like having a phone call with your parents like in a in the library before midterms like they're (laughs) just screaming and crying in the background and it's like hi mom i'm good but i'm gotta go love that you're making lasagna (laughs) sounds amazing wish i were home well also the horrible thing about dispatch is that like not only do you have to be calm but you also have to try to get them off the phone if possible as fast as you can because there's other calls coming in well and you also have to be you have to be like oh here's how you do cpr right while the parent hey they're coming and if you don't describe it well enough they might do it wrong and kill the person oh my god now i'm just horrific anyway anyway thank you for them i salute you dispatch people seriously um anyway so that's the story (laughs) (laughs) but if you listen to the calls it's actually very creepy because they're like okay where are you and he's like 
don't talk, just listen. Like, I yeah. killed her. And he's, like, sobbing, like a grown man sobbing. And he's like, I stabbed her 40 times. And on the one hand, like, I was reading Reddit articles about it, and it's like, on the one hand, he's, you know, sounds, like, so upset and guilty. But then it's like, also sociopaths know how to... Like, right. That doesn't mean anything. Like, uh, just because like, someone... Like, he knows how to use other people's emotions. Possibly. Like, least. just to an empathetic... Per- <clears throat> if To an empathetic person, you sound guilty that doesn't necessarily mean that it could mean he's just copying the emotion anyway so who knows they don't know why he confessed or what he was hoping to get out of it because he didn't want to get caught clearly um anyway so i think you're right it's just the credit maybe yeah or maybe his way of like easing his conscience without actually i know i for sure would want my conscience eased yeah (laughs) i can't even imagine but it makes sense then then he still had that survival instinct of like but i don't want to get caught right yeah anyway so I do have a horoscope for okay. Paul, uh, which I don't know what I wrote. I wrote something. So what is wrong with you? <laughs> let's hope. Well, I'm like worried. I'm like, usually if it's a really bad one, I don't write a horoscope for the gotcha. person, but I have one for a Virgo, which was him. So All right. let's see what it says. <clears throat> Virgo, you may not feel like you're in tune with your situation today. Try not to get too pushy with your opinions about how things should be done. Honor other people's perspectives and approaches. Mercury goes direct on the 6th, putting to rest a lot of your worries about whether you said the right thing at the right time to the right person. Oh my gosh. You'll still need to stay vigilant during the shadow period. Oh Christ, that's terrifying. But you can rest a little easier knowing Mercury's retrograde reign is finally over. Well, there's a lot of astrological stuff going on there. But I think I thought that saying things to the right people was Yeah, that was very, very on the nose. Yeah. So that is the story of Paul Michael Stefani, the weepy voiced killer. And you guys, seriously, if you have, like, it's creepy, but it's definitely listenable. Like, you should go listen to it. It's very creepy. Okay. Try it out. All right. I'm going to play it for you after this. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. All right. Thanks, guys. It, uh, I, It's been so long. I don't really know how to end this. We never know how to end it, even when we've been doing it nonstop. This is us at live shows. We're like, so do we walk away Truly, now? we feel so bad for the people at live shows because they're still staring at us and kind of hoping something else happens. And we're like, gotta go. And the bartender's like looking at their watch. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we have to leave. Uh, we still don't know what we're doing. It, it really bodes well that you guys love that about us because <laughs> it's not going to change, I don't think. Uh, never um all right thank you guys so much for listening um you want to go check us out on social media it's atwwd podcast same with our patreon we also have our website and that's why we drink.com you can check out our tour dates and that's why we drink.com slash live mm-hmm. and we do have some tickets left for a few of our shows so please please and they're like this week so go look please please especially if you're in boston and especially if you're in houston yes especially oh especially yeah. if you're in houston or anywhere near houston that is going to be quite a quite a uh intimate performance for yes us. yes we'll know all of your names personally by the end i think i'm not promising that maybe em can promise it but i can't i'm really good with names i barely know em's name so uh, it's two letters so <laughs> uh you can also find our merch at and that's where you drink dot big and if you want to send us your listener stories um you can send us your personal true crime and ghost stories at and that's where we drink at gmail.com for a chance for us to read them in our monthly listeners episode that we put out at the first of every month mm-hmm um i think that's it um that's always the sign that we have to go um and that's why we drink bye that was a fun little Uh uh-huh and that's why we drink